pay attention to your market. It's not so much the individual deals as the entire direction of your market. So, I mean, if you pay good enough attention to your market, you can make sure that you're buying when buying is smart and that you're selling when selling is necessary. Best ever listeners, do you want to make more money on your real estate projects? Well, I'm guessing that I'm hearing you say, oh yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, guess what, my friends? Today's best ever sponsor, Fund That Flip, is working with well, one of our previous best ever guests who has the most po- one of the most popular episodes, Jay Scott. If you aren't familiar with this episode, then go check that out, episode 217. If you are, because you're a loyal best ever listener, then you know that he knows how the heck to both analyze deals, especially flips, how to optimize the profits on those flips, and how to look at the market. Because of that, Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has worked with him and put together a guide that is the seven tips to increase your real estate profits in today's market. Go check that out. Go get that guide. I've read through it myself. I've learned a lot of things from it, from how to analyze the market cycles, as well as how to optimize profits and not lose money or mitigate your risk for losing money on your deals. Go check it out, fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com forward slash best ever. You're going to learn the tools to better understand your local market and position your business for success. You're going to know how to analyze the real estate cycle and how to use short-term investing to capitalize on the market cycle and seven concrete actionable tips to make more money on your deals. Fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. And with us today, we've got a best ever guest. How you doing, Jeremy? Love it. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well and nice to have you on the show and looking forward to our conversation a little bit about Jeremy. He is a mortgage loan originator at Homeowners Financial Group USA. He's completed over 1,700 loan applications as a banker since 2008. He has owned and instructed a real estate continuing education at Real Estate School of Scottsdale from 2013 to 2015. He's got over 10 years of real estate experience, and he's based in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. And you can say hi to him at his website, which is in the show notes page. You can just click on that link. With that being said, Jeremy, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I I started uh, originally in selling real estate, and I quickly realized that the folks that seemed to be enjoying themselves the most were the ones investing in it. So I started to invest some simple flips, then I got into some more complicated flips, and that just kind of progressed to the point where I was building custom homes, and that was all fun until our local market here uh, had a super big correction in 08. And pretty much since then, I've been on the lending side. It was easy for me to kind of transition over and set up a lending team. And now, basically, I use that to fund my investment projects. And, you know, I'm more into the income-producing properties now to avoid the detrimental things that I saw in 08 and just uh, trying to build up that giant nest egg. What aspects of your business now are present that weren't present before the crash? Before the crash, I didn't have anything set up that was recurring type income. So it was always 
find a project, do the project, get paid at the end of the project. So now I've set up my lending business so that I've got a pretty steady, pretty sizable income that comes in monthly. And then all the real estate investing I do is for income producing properties that have a monthly payout to me. So I'm trying to set it so that uh, I've always got that income stream coming in and then just trying to maximize how I use that income stream to make for a nice retirement down the road. What type of loans do you do and what's your role in doing those loans? We do all the chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry for like consumer-facing loans. Fannie, Freddie, all the regular stuff, that's what I do in, in my business. So the bulk of my buyers are people buying a home to live in, and I still work with a small amount of investors. Just many investors have gotten out of Arizona. They don't see too much ROI over here. That's what I do there, and, and my role is I'm the team lead. So I'm in charge of making the leads come in. I'm in charge of continuing to make the phone ring, and then there's folks that help me out and go from there and actually originating the loans and ensuring they close. Okay. And how do you make money on that process? When the loan closes, the bank makes a certain amount of money on it and I'm paid a certain amount of money. So just like any other banker, I'm paid commission on every single deal that I generate and that I close. How is that reoccurring monthly income that comes in? Every day I'm out there trying to build the business. So if, if I go out there and I generate a new lead or if I create a new referral partner, figure my timetable puts me closing my first deal from that person in 90 days. So every day I'm out here making calls, going to networking events, you know, going to events or, or setting up my own events so that I can get new deals that can close in 90 days. So I'm, I'm building for 90 days out and the rest of my team is building for the deals that are actually closing this month. Okay. But looking at it, before 2008, it was a deal-by-deal basis on your fix and flips, and you didn't have recurring income. But I think you could also look at what you just said, and it's the same thing, where it's a deal-by-deal basis and you're getting a commission. It's just a different tactic. Correct. Correct. Much smaller checks, but I guess they're easier to go out there and procure, or at least that was my mindset in 08, and figure I'm this deep into it, there's no point in changing now. (laughs) Um. You said you're also an investor? That's correct. What are you buying right now, if anything? What I'm buying right now is condos. The numbers work out best for me on little condos here in the valley. Okay. What's the last deal you did? Last deal I did was a few months back. I actually bought two condos in the same complex. They were both like $40,000 condos. Ended up being a giant nightmare of a deal when it was all said and done. But now that the dust has kind of settled on it, the, the numbers are coming in and I'm happy I did it. Well, clearly I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask you about this giant nightmare. We got some things to learn from it. All right, tell us about it. So being in the real estate industry, and I'm actually a native here in Arizona, I knew the area I was buying in. I didn't spend a ton of time going to the property. I actually went to the property once very briefly before I actually purchased it. The entire area does well. It's it's actually a fairly affluent area. I was surprised why they had these low-end condos there. Literally a couple days after I closed on the condos, both of them were vacant. Both of them had been gutted. When my property manager finally got in there and started getting tenants on it, it turned out that this one particular complex is the just kind of the nightmare of the entire area. There's so many bad tenants and there's so much horrible things going on in there that that's why the sales prices are so reduced over there. And so basically my property manager spent probably six months trying to get good steady tenants in there. And I've been working with the HOA to help develop a more stringent set of rules. And we brought in the local police department and we put in new gates. Like we've done everything we can to try to get the riffraff out of this community because they don't fit in well there with the rest of the neighborhood anyway. And it was killing the values and the rents that were in that particular uh, complex. Mm, okay. You bought it for 40. How much dollar wise you put into these two? For the first 
probably six months, I was probably bleeding a thousand dollars a month. They stole all the appliances the first month, got it in there, got new tenants in. Those tenants destroyed both units in the second <laughs> month. Um, so literally for the first six months, it was bleeding. Wow. You had to estimate, because I know you must be a numbers guy. How much have you put in total for each of them? On top of the purchase price, I've probably put in eight grand each. Eight grand each. Okay. So about 48K a piece. Yep. What do they rent for? Now that we have steady renters in there, they rent for about $700 a month. Okay. What area are they in? Just kind of north central Phoenix. You said you've got the property manager. Is that the property manager that you use for your other deals as well? Yeah, I use it for all my other deals. And it turns out that the on-site property manager was the source of most of the problems for that area. <laughs> that person has since been replaced. They were the ones that were filling the units with some pretty horrible tenants. And what was their motivation? I'm not entirely sure at this point. You said you worked with the police department. How do you approach that? Luckily, the HOA was in transition right when I purchased that, and one of the new HOA board members suggested it. So from my side, all I was really doing was cooperating with them. The police had us fill out various paperwork, including one specific affidavit that gave our legal permission for the police to go on site and conduct any arrests that were necessary to get rid of any non-residents, to literally give them our legal permission as landlords to go on to our individual properties to address any illegal activity that was going on. Mm. Was it as simple as signing that paperwork or did you have other calls and meetings with them and talk to them about other stuff? Luckily, somebody else did the bulk of the calls and meetings. I made a few incidental calls myself just to inquire about what could happen. But by the time I got a third of that information gathered, somebody at the HOA had actually done the bulk of it. And it got to the point where I just had some paperwork to fill out and sign and have notarized. And you said it was a few months back. How many months? Uh, so figure I purchased that... It would have been end of 2015. We're just now a couple months into being done with all of the trash, and we've got good tenants in there. It's still not the best community, but my monthly updates that we receive from the on-site folks are positive. And as of just a couple days ago, they've got these electronic gates there. So, I mean, you have to really finagle your way to get into this property if you don't have the electronic keys that we have. Mm, that's good. Yeah. What are your HOA fees, and have they increased since you've had it? They have not increased. That was the odd thing with all these funny things going on. The HOA actually had a fairly substantial reserve. The HOA fee, I believe, is 190 per unit over there, and the reserve was more than substantial. They were able to retrofit the entire property with these gates. They were updating the pool. They did a bunch of things and still have plenty of reserve, no need to fiddle with the HOA fees. Is that 190 a month? Correct. That's 190 a month. When you look at investments, how do you analyze them? What's your approach? My new favorite way to analyze them is I have a, a commercial contact for lending over here. So they, they have these short-term commercial loans that they allow for me. So when I go into a new investment now, I look at it to see if I put down a sizable chunk and I put on a five-year commercial loan, will I net close to zero? If I can look at that, I like the property, I can net close to zero, I'm probably going to pull the trigger on it because now I know it shouldn't cost me too much unless I make a stupid decision like I did on these last two and not actually do my homework on it. It shouldn't cost me too much for the first five years. And at the end of five years, I now own another free and clear investment property that's going to ROI and you know provide some positive cash flow for me for many years to come. Okay. I want to make sure I'm understanding it. Are you saying if you can net zero and pay it off in five years? Correct. So okay. the, you know, the short-term commercial loan, it's a five-year loan. It's going to have a fairly stout payment but they're fairly small properties that I'm looking at. So say on that $40,000 property, if I looked at it and I was going to get a $24,000 commercial loan that's got a five-year term on it, and I was able to factor the payment on that commercial loan into my monthly net, 
and I was able to get that figure down to near zero, so call it zero plus or minus 50 to 100 bucks, then I would pull the trigger because I know that you know I've got plenty of reoccurring income that I've already generated coming in, so I could afford to net zero or even lose 50 to 100 bucks on the property for five years, so that at the end of five years, I would own it free and clear. What happens if the tides turn and you start having to pay more than $200, but two, three thousand dollars and multiple of those are happening at once. Is there a way out of that loan to something else at that point in time? Correct. I have the ability to do more traditional financing on them, but that's what kind of got me in trouble in the past was having these 30 year fixed with even 20 or 30% equity. So now, you know, I figure if I have near 50% equity in it and I'm doing these shorter term commercial loans, if the tides change, then I have plenty of exit strategies. I felt the same thing in 2007, so I was proven wrong in 2008, uh, but that's why a big key in what I do for both my lending business and for my investment businesses, I watch the market now closer than I ever have. I, I like to think that if I pay good enough attention to the technicals, the only way I'm going to get stuck holding bad investments is if something happens that nobody could have predicted. And why wouldn't you amortize over 30 years and simply pay it off sooner, over five years, that way you have the flexibility of keeping the 30? Two reasons. First is then I would have the opportunity at that point to get greedy and try to do too many of these because, you know, the payment wouldn't be too much. I could look at it and say, maybe I'll just do an extra one or two or three or four and get to the point where I'm over my head. That's probably secondary. Primarily is these commercial loans. It's a phone call. I make a telephone call over to them. I give them an address. They pull up an automated valuation model on their side. If they like it as much as I like it, we go on to funding and that's an easy way to get deals done. I definitely don't want to be going through the same rigmarole that I put clients through on every single deal, especially when if I'm trying to get a good deal for the property, we're not going to be given 30 or 45 days to close. I can write a 14-day close and still fund it with the commercial loan because there's not that much paperwork. What percent down do you put on these loans? I put 50% down. 50, five zero? Yeah, five zero. Okay, got it. Who do you work with on that? It's a local banker. He used to be with one bank. Now he works with a Western State Bank. He's been giving me advice for years and always there for my clients when it was necessary. So when I reached out to him for my own personal business, it was easy for us to talk and get along. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Best, best advice I could give is to pay attention to your market. It's not so much the individual deals as the entire direction of your market. So, I mean, if you pay good enough attention to your market, you can make sure that you're buying when buying is smart and that you're selling when selling is necessary. Okay. What specifically are you supposed to look for? One of the biggest factors I watch is the affordability index. So if I look back in history and you watch the affordability index moving up to 2008, you'll see that it got way out of whack. It got to the point where nobody could afford the homes that they were living in. So as long as the affordability index is extremely high and the overwhelming majority of the population in an area can afford to live in the median home price range, then I'm comfortable in that area. If the affordability index gets to the point where only half of the people in an area can afford the median home price, then now I'm worried and now I know that I'm going to stay away from that as far as a purchasing side. And if I own property in that area, I'm probably going to look at unloading it while it's still possible. Mm. I haven't studied the affordability index. If I were to Google affordability index Phoenix mm -hmm. or Dallas, would mm -hmm. something come up from a standard source or is there a state or city by city resource that you use? 
I use a local resource. I believe that there's a couple different national resources that actually track that individual piece. I obviously don't look at the national affordability index. That doesn't make any sense. You want to find a local resource or at least a national resource that breaks it down to a local level. Here locally, we've got a company called the Cromford Report, and they watch the affordability index. And they, like me, believe that it's a very important indicator to watch. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K, investorgroup.com forward slash best ever. Best ever book you've read? Uh, An old Carlton Sheets book. It convinced me to leave engineering and get into investing. And what's the book? I don't even know. (laughs) I I, I tried to find it. I know it's in my closet somewhere. I I have no idea what the name of it was. Best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? I'd say 08 was my best ever personal growth. Before that, I thought that real estate was unfallible. I could do anything I wanted and always make money. And what I learned is I need to pay attention to to the market and not just the deal. Best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal I've done. Best ever deal I've done came obviously before the market crash. I bought a piece of land for well under $100,000. We built a 2,700 square foot home on it. And when it was all said and done, we sold that property for mid 400s, like 450, 460 and netted, I don't know, $200,000. What's the best ever way you'd like to give back? We have three kids now. So I like uh, volunteering at the kids' school. So we're, we're, my wife is the room parent. I like to go in there and volunteer there. And then, But financially, we give to a local uh, boys' club. It's called OCJ Kids. We help them for their Thanksgiving and for their Christmas. And every year, we give them a nice financial donation because those kids, they put it to good work and they really need it. Why are you focusing on condos right now? For me, it means that the HOA is going to take care of most of the big things that could go wrong with the property. So that just means partnering with a good property manager, which I have. So I like that aspect of it. Also, condo financing has been so difficult from a consumer level for so many years. So in my area, condos are still the most price suppressed as a result of the fact that you just can't get good financing on so many of them. So when I go in and I buy them with commercial loans or with cash, I'm getting a deal on a condo where I can't really get a deal in this market on a townhome or a single family home or anything else. Mm, Interesting. Okay. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate so far? Not opening my eyes and getting in way over my head and too much leverage, too much leverage. I thought in the beginning that if I had 20% equity in a property, that that was more than I would ever need. That may be true to a certain degree, but if you only have 20% equity in 15 to 20 properties at a time, just a little bit of market shift and you're going to be in a world of hurt. Going back to those two condos that you purchased recently, 40000 and they had all sorts of trouble initially, what would you do differently on the next deal? I would not be so lazy and I would actually physically drive out to the property and open my eyes and walk around and see everything that's wrong with that property I could have seen if I had simply walked around it. Are they going to work out for you? They are. They're already at the point where I'm I'm cash flowing them on them every single month and I'm confident that the people down at the HOA are taking the necessary steps and if they drop the ball, I'll pick it up. Knowing that that's the case... 
if you did go drive around the property and you had your eyes opened up to what was going on there, mm -hmm. would you have bought them? I probably would have. I just would have paid less for them. Mm. What do you think you could have got them for? Another one closed shortly after I closed on mine in the high 20s. I think 28000 Got it. Got it. Any other ones that you're looking to buy over there? <laughs> it's funny because there's one investor is selling three that are adjacent to each other, all for around forty-seven. I'm not ready to pull the trigger there, but I've got a feeler out to him, letting him know that if that number gets below forty, we'll probably have a chit chat. Cool. What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you, Jeremy? Probably googling me, or if you go directly to my website, jjlovett.com, you're going to get links to me all over the place. Fairly active on Facebook. I do a weekly video where I share whatever's most important in the lending and real estate industry to me. So if there's some new change or some crazy thing happens, whatever it is, I do like a two to three minute video on it. And you can catch that on Facebook or YouTube or right on my website, jjlevitt.com. Well, Jeremy, you didn't surprise me when you said you had an engineering background based on how succinct you are with your answers. I love it, no pun intended, because we covered a lot in a short amount of time and a lot of really good lessons as far as buying condos, why you're buying them, and as you said, the price is the most suppressed because the financing was tricky to get, right. especially in your line of business. You have a competitive advantage as well as your approach to financing those is coming from a lender, financing those with commercial loans because of the speed in which you can get the deals done versus the traditional route, as well as the secondary reason of it keeps you honest in your approach that you want to have now compared to when you were over leveraged prior to 2008. And then talking through the details on those two condos that you bought for now all in about 48,000 and the rent is 700 a piece and then you got a condo fee of 190 so we, we got some expenses there but just really cool really interesting to hear your approach and how 2008 certainly you can hear it in your voice and in the way you talk about your business it certainly made a, a lasting impact on how you're approaching your business now i was not around in investing firsthand in 2008 Therefore, I can't change that. So all I can do is I can learn from people who were around and what they're right. doing now. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, Jeremy, and we'll talk to you soon. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, guys. Best ever listeners, Matt Bowles, who was a guest on episode 289. His company, Maverick Investor Group, has a special report just for you on how to avoid the seven biggest mistakes in real estate that investors make in the 2016 boom cycle. Get yours free at maverickinvestorgroup.com forward slash best ever. That's M-A-V-E-R-I-C-K investorgroup.com forward slash best ever.